When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study uh, from the Rick and Bubba Studios. I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. This Wednesday Bible Study is available to you live and archived, uh, we would say, practically every Wednesday. Very few Wednesdays we're not here. Uh, if I'm vacationing, we'll always let you know, and you can go back and catch archives. So uh, we welcome you in. We are in session two of a brand new study. We're going. This is an expository series, meaning we're going to go word for word through another book of the Bible. We, we do some uh, Bible studies on, on commentaries and books that people write. Uh, we do uh, some that are just books of the Bible uh, and this one. And then we do standalone Bible studies sometimes. It's just one topic. Uh, but this one is a series, and we're in the second uh, uh, installment of this series. We'll be starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We finished last week uh, chapter 1 through verse 17. We'll do a little bit of review on that, then we'll jump in. Let me make you aware first uh, of some things that are going on. If you'd like to plug in, because at the foundation of this Wednesday Bible study is men's ministry. Now, we know that women uh, watch this Bible study as well, and you certainly can, but, but it's foundationally a men's Bible study. There's men that, that are in the room, and, and, and it's part of uh, you know, one of the things we offer at themanchurch.com. So other things we do, we, we do uh, man church services. We have curriculum uh, for your community or your church. If you would like to get into small groups, we have two 40-week curriculums that are available. Uh, and I'll tell you how you can plug into some of those anywhere in the country. Uh, and also, uh, we go out and do a men's events from time to time. Uh, so we keep you updated on what's going on with themanchurch.com. So this week, some opportunities. If, uh, if you would like to be with me at my home church, um, it's actually uh, the sister church of my home church. The location will be in Helena, Alabama. That's in the Birmingham, Alabama area. Uh, I'll be uh, with, uh, with the guys at uh, Valleydale. Church, which is my home church, and we'll be combining with our sister church and actually doing it there uh, at the church at Old Town in Helena, Alabama. Uh, that'll be this Friday night, and it'll be a, a man church format. I'll be bringing a message with her testimony from a professional golfer. We'll have food starting at 6 o'clock local time from Dreamland Barbecue. We'll have some um, activities that you can do as we fellowship. Then at 7 o'clock, we'll start the service. Now, at the end of the service, we'll give you an opportunity to respond to the message and plug in to one of our 40-week curriculums. Uh, uh, Valleydale will be doing um, the real men uh, of the Bible, meaning it's going to be a 40-week curriculum with eight different men of the Bible. We already have our facilitators, our small group leaders set up, and you'll be plugging into those small groups uh, on days and times that work for you. Uh, you can also do that. Let's say you'd like to plug in. Uh, you're part of that community, but because of football or some other conflict, you can't get to the service. Uh, just go to valleydale.org slash events, and you'll see that you can get your $5 ticket to Friday night's um, service, but you can also go ahead and plug into a small group. Uh, there's two opportunities to do either one, even if you can't be there, because the, the curriculum is the most important element of this strategy. Also, coming up this same weekend, on the 29th of August, uh, Rich Wingo, a part of our team, will be speaking uh, in Columbus, Mississippi. They're already doing the curriculum and doing the strategy. This will be Man Church number three for them. And Rich will be speaking there at First Baptist Columbus Sunday night. Shades Mountain Baptist Church, my former home church, 
uh, also has Man Church coming up this Sunday night. Dr. Robert Smith, a uh, brilliant speaker and teacher, uh, will be speaking, and uh, uh, you'll have an opportunity to, to also get into either of the curriculums that we offer. They're, they're doing the pursuit, and they're also doing real men, and you can plug into some of those small groups. So, so uh, whatever we can do to help you, we, we'd love to do that. So that's stuff that's going on this week. We have a lot going on in September and beyond. You can find all those dates by either going to BurgessMinistries.com. That means that, that I'm involved with the actual gathering in some way, shape, or form. But if you just want to see man churches that may feature our other teachers, our other churches, uh, go to TheManChurch.com and click on events there. So let's open up in a word of prayer and let's jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. We know that we're about to study your word. This is your inspired word. So we know that it will not return void. Uh, we know, Lord, that there is something to glean from this today because you have inspired it to be written. And help us, Lord, to unpack it and apply to ourselves uh, what is going on with uh, what you want us to take away today from your inspired word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so... One of the things I was thinking about, and I put this out today on, on social media because it really ties in to me preparing for this Bible study and, and what Paul's about to continue to talk about as we get through the next uh, verses here in 1 Corinthians. And, and this is something that, that I, it was just God speaking to me and something that we have to understand. And, and this is what I wrote down this morning as I was uh, in, in my, my time with the Lord. It is important to, to understand, it's important for me to understand that God does not need me. Uh, I am the one who needs God. Uh, I don't uh, make him more perfect or holy. It's God that makes me into something new. I need him to change me. I don't bring anything to the table that he needs. Nothing. And, uh, and I think sometimes that's been one of the problems, and you're going to see this, that Paul talks about it in the church at Corinth, is that we start puffing ourselves up uh, with all of our wisdom and all of our gifts and all of our talents, and we start thinking that somehow there's something that we give to God that makes him complete. And, and it's just not true. We need God. He does not need us. Uh, and even when you look at God's will for your life, God's will for your life is not something you have to do. It's something that you are allowed to do. Uh, you don't have to do it. I mean, he, 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 can, he can carry out everything he's going to carry out with or without us. So God's will for our life is something we get to do, not something we have to do. Uh, and so uh, this is something that Paul is coming back in and trying to remind the church at Corinth. Now, if you remember last week, we left, and he, he's talking about you guys have become enamored with these teachers, including himself, you know, with, with Paul or with Apollos uh, or with, with Peter, and he's going to touch on that again as we get deeper into the study. And he's reminding them that what? He says, I don't bring anything to the table. Uh, and he just finished saying, what, did I go to the cross for you? Did, were you crucified in the name of Paul? Uh, and, uh, and he says, no. So, uh, so, so that's the way we had just finished. He says at the end of it, what he's actually preaching here is, is what, what he is saying here is that Christ did not send me to baptize, this is in verse 17 from last week, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the, 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 the cross of Christ has been emptied of its power. So, so that's one of the things you have to think about. He says, it, it, one, be careful of any theology, and it's out there, okay? It, it's out there. Be careful of any theology that empties the power of Christ. We were just talking about um, on the, the Rick and Bubba show today uh, about uh, you know, a politician who has reverend 
by his name, but he, uh, last Easter, said that uh, really the cross is not the only way to be redeemed. That really, if you'll just be good to people, you can save yourself. Well, see, that's emptying the cross of its power. Uh, you have some, some people that have a theology that really the cross is not in play at all. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's all decided, and, there's the, 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 you know, and you get to the point, you think, well, if God, is there no power of the cross at all? And so Paul is saying, don't forget the power of the cross and, and be careful that you, you, don't, you don't get involved in any kind of theology or get puffed up with yourself to think that anybody's bringing anything to the table other than Jesus. He, he, he alone, uh, the, the, best, the best talent, the best work, the best anything that we could ever accomplish, our best 15 minutes, as the great Adrian Rogers once said, who I'm telling you is as eloquent and as powerful a pastor as God ever created. And Adrian Rogers said, I wouldn't present my best 15 minutes in the presence of a holy God without Jesus. Because to God, it's all filthy rags on our best day. That's the reason why we need Jesus to make us fully righteous. We need Jesus. Jesus does not need us. We don't make him any better. Uh, we don't make God any more holy. We don't make God any more perfect. Uh, with or without us, God is God. But without him, we're doomed. We need him. And so Paul now will begin to, to talk about, about the power of the cross in verse 18. And, and this is what Paul says. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Look at verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He said, look at the Jews in verse 22. He said, here's the problem. The Jews demanded signs. Remember that? that Jesus was constantly talking about that in the Gospel of John. You keep asking me for a sign. You keep asking me for a sign. And then the Greeks, which now the church is, is made up of Greeks and Jews, he said, then the Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we don't preach any of that. We're not preaching the signs. We're not preaching wisdom. He's saying what we preach is Christ crucified, and this is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it seems like folly to the Gentiles. So he, the reason why he's talking about that, he says, you know, when you talk about the cross and Jesus, you know, paying the price for sin, and then Jesus going into the grave and being resurrected on the third day, he said the cross is never taken serious by those who are perishing. Man cannot fully understand it, but he says, but to those that have been redeemed, or as he says, to the saint, it's real. Uh, Greeks thought of themselves very clever, uh, and they were clever people, but, but it's not this cleverness that, that, uh, that, um, uh, that is getting them saved. And what he's saying, the reason why he's writing this letter, and you'll see him get there, he says, now the fact that the Greeks love philosophy and they love education and, and uh, which is why a lot of them you know, were worshiping Paul instead of Jesus. They, they loved the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, I mean, the, the Jews loved being drawn to Paul because of his, his rabbi status, but, but these are Christians. But the Greek Christians were drawn to him because of his um, incredible education and his brilliance and his intelligence. But what was happening, he says, the, what I have to address today is that it's okay 
for you to be educated. It's okay for you to have earthly wisdom. It's okay for you to like philosophy. But here's the problem. You guys are leaving the gospel that we preached. You're now letting your cleverness and your wisdom invade the theology of the church. And he says, now that's where we got a problem. So what he's saying is for all these clans that you're trying to create inside the church, uh, following Paul, following Apollos, following Peter, following anything of the world, any philosophy or being impressed with any human being, he says, what I need to do and what I'm going to do right now, and I've had friends of mine tell me this, uh, one of my friends that's, a, that's an outstanding evangelist, he, say, he said the same thing to me that, that, that Paul is saying to this church. You know what he says? At the end of it all, take them back to the cross. When, you, when we start chasing all this other stuff, get them back to the cross. Get them back to the gospel. And that's what Paul is doing. You see uh, up here in verse 19, he said, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and, the discernment, and, and of the discerning I will thwart. Now this comes from Isaiah uh, 29, 14. Isaiah 29, 14. And, and what he wants us to know is that Isaiah, God has been saying this, uh, through Isaiah all the way back in, in what they knew before Paul had finished. You remember, they don't have all these letters yet. This letter's being read to Corinth right now, but they've, they've gone back and studied the prophets of the Old Testament, and here was Isaiah saying, I'll destroy any wisdom, this is God talking, of, of the so-called wise. And those that think they have great discerning out there, I will take their discernment and I'll destroy it because man's wisdom compared to God's wisdom is a joke. And think about the society that we're living in right now. Man, we think we're so smart. We think we're so educated. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, you can, and what, what's so funny is the way human beings act, and I see this and we do stories all the time, and this is exactly what Paul's talking about. I watched with my own eyes, it was either in, it was either in Oregon at a, at, or Utah, and it was a college campus, and this, this scientist came in and said to them, I'm not here to talk to you about the Bible. I'm here to talk to you about science because what, what do we use here? You Christians, it, this is folly. Y'all are so stupid. You just need to follow the science. Now, we believe all science does is reveal who God is. It, it, there's, there's a lawmaker, and, and he's, he's showing us, revealing himself in science of how he may or may not have done things. But they believe that science, if you do, you just follow the science. You know, we hear that all the time because we want wisdom. We want man's wisdom. We want science. And so this person gets up and says, biologically, there are only two genders, and they are distinct, male and female. This was not a person preaching out of the Bible. They got up and walked out on her too. So you see, even, even when they demanded the, the, that science come in and only talk about science, even when science didn't tell them what they wanted to hear, they then rejected science. So this is the point that, 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 that man's wisdom is a joke because even if we hear wisdom then, uh, then, 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 and, and it's still not what we want to hear, then we just reject that too. And so Paul, that's the reason why Paul is quoting from Isaiah what God said about him not being impressed with the wisdom of people. Uh, so now let's jump back down to, uh, to uh, verse 24 and 25 again. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, meaning it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or you're Greek, it's still that we're still serving the same Lord and Savior. That's Jesus. And look at 25. For the foolishness of God, he's saying that the, the lowest form of God is wiser than men, and the weakest of God is stronger than any man. 
Even if God were to lower himself as low as he possibly could to try to get down to our level, the chasm between God's wisdom and ours and God's strength and ours would still be insurmountable. Our wisdom compared to the wisdom of God is not even close. On Our, be- our most brilliant people are a laughingstock to God. And, and he's making that point. And it must seem so bizarre for God to look down and watch us try this, that we think we're smarter than he is. Can you imagine what that, and, and this is the point uh, that, uh, that Paul is making. So beginning in 26, for, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You know what he's doing now? He's saying, hey, don't forget. This church is mainly made up of people that the world doesn't think much of anyway. You know, so don't if you're going to be pulled into this world, if you're going to if you're going to reject God and go to the world, and I think this is very important. He said, "Remember the fact that redemption was offered to you that God thinks more of you than that world does." They don't think you're worth anything. They don't think you're as smart as them. Some most of you in here, you weren't of noble birth. You don't have any standing in society. God is building his church on the very people that the world says are not worth anything. He said, don't forget that. Uh, and, and, then, and then he says this. Listen, he even drives this home. He said, but God, my wife always talks about this, man, underline every time you see in the Bible, but God, underline it. Because that means something has been said, and then whoever's writing says, now, but God has changed that situation. The but gods in the Bible are powerful. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Look at 28. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now this goes back, a lot of you, have any of you ever heard the, the, the story of Gideon out of the Bible? You remember that the angel of the Lord goes to Gideon because now the, the, the God's people, God has allowed the Midianites to come in and conquer them because they've been rebellious against God. Don't miss that. God allowed their enemies to overtake them because they had rebelled against him, and he's trying to use their enemies to humble them for them to come back to him, and then he will give them victory over their enemies. Sound familiar? But anyway, so, so what happens is that the angel of the Lord, which in, in Scripture, when you see Lord capitalized, angel of the Lord, and it's capitalized, that uh, many uh, uh, theologians believe that represents Jesus, the Son, before uh, he comes to earth in the New Testament, because the Trinity has always been. So, so anyway, he goes to Gideon, and the first thing Gideon says is, uh, I thought God loved us. I'm paraphrasing, that's basically what he said. Why has God allowed our enemies to overtake us like this? What happened? And, of course, uh, the angel of the Lord says, well, God's about to give victory, but he's going to do it through you. Well, Gideon starts first saying, well, first of all, I'm of the weakest tribe of all the tribes. Okay? Uh, I'm not impressive. My family's not impressive. And, and Gideon's so afraid that when the angel of the Lord walks up, he's hiding stuff that he didn't want the, 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 the Midianite, uh, I mean, the Midianites to even find. So when God starts telling him, that he's going to do this thing through him and defeat the Midianites, Gideon keeps on asking for this to be confirmed over and over again because he has no confidence that this can happen. 
And even when he gets an army, God keeps making the army less and less and less. Why? So that when it happens, everybody knows it was God, not him. That's why he's always using unlikely people, so people don't think that, that anybody else could have been involved in this without God's help. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about. You guys have to understand, y'all are drifting from, from the from message of the cross, and what the cross said is what? Everybody's in equal need of redemption, and everybody has access to redemption, no matter what the world says about you. And now y'all are getting caught up in all this philosophy and all this wisdom, and you're starting to puff yourself up and thinking that you bring anything to the table when you got to reverse this and go back to say, I bring nothing to the table, but God still saved me. And that needs to be the attitude in here. The attitude in here is that we are wretched sinners who could not do anything about our condition, but God, through His grace and His mercy, came to us. We could not come to Him lowered himself to minister to the lowly, went to the cross and died for every one of you, and, and he placed more value on your life than this world has ever given you. So why are you drifting back to the world that has never thought anything of you? It's a great point. Why do we do that? Why do we continue to go back to the world? What, what is the world, what has it ever done for you? He said, has the world ever done anything close to what God's done for you? I remember this so vividly, uh, dealing with sin, and it was a very, very, and I, and I may have told this before, but it's worth telling again because it ties into this message. I was able to go back to a place uh, and, and do a, a men's event uh, years ago. Uh, when, when I when I when I played college football, uh, I I thought I was going to be playing other places. Got injured, went through a lot of things like this. God ended up taking me to, to a, a smaller school called Troy. It was Troy State at the time in Division II. And, uh, and I had a bad attitude about that, and, and I didn't understand that really uh, if I was a, a, a true follower of Christ, and I was claiming to be a cultural Christian then, of course, but if I had been a true follower of Christ, I would have seen that God was shutting one door and opening up the place he wanted me to be, which is where I was supposed to go and do ministry. I, did, I didn't have that attitude at all. Of course, I was still going to heaven. I, I was still a Christian, even though I had not been back to church since I left mom and daddy's house, and I was living in per perpetual, continuous, deliberate sin, of course, I was still saved. Uh, and, of course, I go down there with a real, real Christian attitude that I'm too good a player to be here, uh, and I should have been in the SEC where I, where I was supposed to go and all this kind of stuff. So I have a terrible attitude. Things go horrible. I, I play for one year. I quit. I join a rock band and go on 13 years of debauchery. Well, in God's great grace, but God, uh, as an adult and now redeemed, I had a chance to go back to the same community and actually come back as a true disciple of Jesus. So we do this men's event, and they have out in the lobby these, these outdoor expo kind of things, and there was a professional bass fisherman out there, uh, not important who it was. And so when I'm walking out to leave, I have two of my sons with them, and I was telling them about me getting a chance to come back and, and try to do something good when I had floundered uh, my other opportunity as a player. And, um, and I saw this guy standing over there by his booth, and he, he had his head down. I could tell something was wrong with him. And I went over there, and, and I said, hey, man, is everything all right? And he said, I should have come forward. When, when you had the time of response, I should have come forward. I said, man, coming forward doesn't save anybody. I said, if you want to be saved, man, you just need to repent of your sin, turn to 180 from your sin, 
and the sincerity of your heart, and you need to submit to the authority of Christ and confess that he's now your new authority, leave your own authority, take faith in you and put it on him, repent of your sins and say, forgive me. And I don't love you but because, I, because I've never obeyed you, so I don't love you, but, but I know that you love me because I see what you did on the cross, but now you teach me to love you because when I love you, I'll obey you. And you can start that sanctification process right now. And he paused. Now, if you look back at the story of Lot, when, when the angels come in and tell Lot, you've got to get your family out of this place of sin. God's about to wipe it off the face of the earth. And the Bible tells us that even though Lot knew these were angels of God coming to get he and his family out from under the wrath of God, Lot had lived in sin so long. You know, you've heard me talk about this. His son-in-laws laughed at him because he had no credibility. His wife ends up turning to salt because she can't stop looking at it. He had taught them to love that sin. And if you don't believe that, there's, there's a part in the Bible that, I mean, it literally takes your breath away. It says the angels tell Lot, we got to get out of here. You got to get your family out of here. And it, you know what it says in Scripture? He hesitated. Just a pause. How many times in my life did I know I needed to repent of my sin and I hesitated? Why? Because I loved it. And I loved sin more than I loved God. And this guy, this old boy was in the same situation. He hesitated. And I said, I know what you're doing. He said, what do you mean? I said, you know that if you repent of your sin right now and you and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you leave your own authority and you come under the authority of Christ, it's going to cost you your sin. And right now you think you, you're not sure you want to give up the sin. And he, he looked at me and I said, hey, man, <laughs> what has sin done for you? I said, I assume you drink to drunkenness. He said, yes. I said, you ever got so drunk you, your, your boat wasn't here to leave when it was supposed to at a tournament? It cost you money. Yes. Because I've been a drunk. I know how drunks act. I said, I said you've, you ever been so drunk that you're driving your car and if you get pulled over, if those lights come on behind you, you go into jail? Yes. You ever not really known how you got home? Yes. Chase women? Yes. You ever, you ever, you ever wondered if somebody, one of them called you and says they think they might be pregnant? Yes. Ever found out one of them had a husband? Yes. And now he's after you? Yes. And I looked at him, I said, and that's a better life? And that's Paul. He said, the world, the world hates y'all. What's the world ever done for y'all? What's sin ever done for you? It may have a moment that you enjoyed a moment, but it always fades into disaster. So where do, how do we ever think that the world or sin is better than Jesus? Now, it feels silly now being you know, now a follower of Jesus, you know, since 1996, it feels silly now that I ever thought that, but I understand thinking that. That's why I'm able to call it out and see it when a man hesitates like that because that man wasn't sure that he wanted a life that, it, that didn't involve drunkenness and chasing women. He wasn't sure because he probably on certain days had a good time with it and he conveniently forgotten all the bad that it brought. And he cried and, and he repented. I don't know the sincerity of his heart. I don't know whether he was the real deal or not. I can just tell you what happened. I hope he would. If so, he's learned otherwise. Well, Paul is saying that, that only, only the worst of us and the lowly were the ones that, that were killed by crucifixion. That was something history when I learned that 
did some commentary on this. The reason why the, 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 the wisdom of the Greeks and the sometimes wealth of, of some of these Jewish members of the church in this city of horrific sin, they knew that the Roman Empire only crucified the lowest of the low. So to the Greeks, they're like, well, how can the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords have gone to the cross? Only the worst of the worst go to the cross. That's where that that's we put the the the, the criminals that have no recourse that that nobody cares about. That's who we put on the cross. And the Jewish people, they're what they're thinking about. They've got their prophecy off. So what did they see Messiah as? Certainly not some guy crucified on a cross. They say, no, he's going to be a mighty warrior that's going to overthrow all this oppression. So what Paul is saying, guys, don't drift back to that kind of thinking. Y'all, y'all, y'all are forgetting about the power of the cross. You're forgetting that you're sitting here trying to be all being confused about Jesus going to a cross when really when he went to the cross, what he showed you is that he was willing to die for the lowest of the low. He lowered himself so he could be the proper sacrifice. And so this is what I love. Verse 30, he said, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hey, you want to boast about something? Then you boast in the Lord. And you think to yourself that, well, we really don't do this today. Yeah, yeah, we do. Sure we do. Look, look at some of the things that you see when, when Paul is saying, remember who you are. Look at some of the things you see going on right now. There, there's a lot of times you'll turn on a, a message from some preacher, you know, dressed in expensive clothing, uh, especially his tennis shoes for some reason. And by the time they're done preaching, you don't know whether you've heard a message from God or a TED Talk. Uh, there's very little reference to Scripture. And he says, you know, today we, we have educational institutions. They do what? They preach humanism, not holiness. They eulogize cleverness, not Calvary. To explain horrendous ills of society, modern man looks to science, technology, and engineering. We chase philosophy. We chase politics. Does it ever occur to us that God's answer to everything we see is the cross. Is the cross. You needed to be redeemed, and I redeemed you. And the fact that you needed to be redeemed, that's why you live in a horrible world that's fallen where terrible things happen. You're all dying. So I came to take you from dead to alive. I, rem- I, can, I think about my, um, my youngest son. I, I think about what he said when I was asking him about why he has so, right now, so bought in to following Jesus at such a young age. I didn't. And he said what Paul is saying. I looked at the world. I looked at all the different philosophies. I looked at all the different worldviews. He says, it's not like I didn't. And he said, Dad, I'm just, honest. I'm just being honest with you. When I read Scripture, when I hear the gospel, it's the only thing that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. I understand. It explains everything. And this is what Paul is trying to remind the church at Corinth. See, you look at um, somebody like D.L. Moody. 
D.L. Moody, and you've heard his name, what, what a, what a, there's no telling how many people will be in heaven because of God's power through D.L. Moody. Do you know what he was? A shoe salesman. He was just a shoe salesman who, who was redeemed. And God did incredible things through D.L. Moody, but when D.L. Moody, the shoe salesman, would talk, you'd hear wisdom that was supernatural. Do you think it's because D.L. Moody was so impressive? Or do you think that God was so impressive? <laughs> it's that God was so impressive. And see, too many of us sit here and say, well, you don't understand about me. God can't do anything through me. No, God can do anything through anybody. See, because you, you may not be impressive to the world, but let God speak through you. God is impressive. Just show them, just show them who he is. And just submit to his authority and let him speak through you. I've seen God do things, look, I mean, as I said, I bring nothing to the table. But I've just seen that when you preach the gospel and you, and you teach the gospel, there's power in that. I, I had a, a guy, you talk about something to rock your world. I had an opportunity to speak to 30 dads at a little baseball camp, standing out in the middle of the field. God's been teaching me a lot about conferences and all that, and they're great. But you know what else he's saying? There's things that don't seem like a big deal where I move there too. This is nothing but a baseball camp. A friend of mine who's a coach who loves the Lord asked uh, on every night after the baseball camp if some of us would come and speak to the dads with their, with their kids. I got the honor to do that one night. Hot, muggy. These kids are only about anywhere from 7 to 10 years old, and they're sitting there with their dads. And I've, I've done this before with dads and I've had it done to me, but I've never done it with them actually there with their children. So I, that something happened that had never happened before because I've never actually done it with the children with their dads, but these baseball players were with their dads. It's a father-son camp. And I said, if I were to take your sons right now and line them up across this chain link fence and started with the first one and work my way through it, and I were to ask these little boys who is the godliest man they know, would they say you? And do you know what two of the boys shouted out? No. In front of their dads. With their dad sitting there. I got to tell you, that was a pretty uncomfortable moment. Uh, not just for the dads, but for me, because I'd never had the kids shout out in the moment. I would not say that about my dad. And uh, so, so in that moment, as we went on through the message, only about a 20-minute message. Uh, you know, five of those dads and one of the college baseball players that was helping all gave their life to Christ. And of those five dads, two of them were the ones where their sons cried out, I would not say my dad. So as those dads came over weeping to me, I'm thinking to myself, this would have been a really easy request to say, I ain't going over some father-son baseball camp. Man, I just did a men's conference up in Cape Girardeau, Missouri that was planned for 10 months. And, and I'm going to roll over here to some baseball field and talk to some dads after the baseball of all the things i got to do. But you know what God said? No, I move. Wherever you go and preach me, I move. And you don't have to have some grand plan. Just preach the gospel. And, and to sit there and watch those little boys, watch their daddy give their life to Christ, and in that moment realizing that these men could actually now be for these little boys what they could never be before, not because they were great men, because they just submitted to a great God. I'm sure they had a lot of great baseball things to tell their kids. 
But that ain't going to mean nothing in eternity. But now they can tell them about Jesus. They're about to start learning about Jesus, and we gave them some stuff for them to start with. And then when the little boy was talking about uh, uh, sin and, and all this and these conversations, it was really powerful. But you know what? It was just in the outfield of some little baseball field in a little bitty town. But, but, but the gospel needs to be preached there too. And, and you know what? For those men and for those little boys, it's big. And all it took was just somebody taking the time to do it. And so this is the kind of stuff that, that Paul is trying to talk about. So he said, if you want to boast about something, what? You know what you say? Let me tell every one of you this, and if you're watching or listening to this. If you're saying, what do I have to bring to the table? You know what Paul says? Jesus. That's what you have to bring to the table. If you're redeemed, you have something to offer because you have Jesus. You know what he says? So boast in that. Don't boast in yourself or your own abilities. Boast in the Lord. Then he goes on into chapter 2, and he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come pro proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So we know that Paul was highly educated to the level of a rabbi. But he says, when I came to talk to all of you in this city of sin and knowing kind of the kind of, well, I didn't come there to, so you would be impressed with how educated I was. You've seen these guys. I came in there without lofty speech or trying to show you my wisdom. Listen to verse 2 in, in chapter 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I wanted you to know I didn't bring you anything but Jesus. I, so, so don't be enamored with me. I didn't even come in trying to get you to be enamored with me. I didn't show you my education. I didn't show you my lofty speech and all the big words that I could use. I didn't do that at all. I came in bringing the only thing that mattered, Jesus. And how about this? Any of us can do that. Anybody can do that. You don't have to have some kind of training to give people Jesus. You don't have to have some kind of some degree to give people Jesus. You know, he said, I, knew, I came in like I didn't know. I love this line in verse 2 of chapter 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I acted like I didn't know anything else but that. You know why he said that, guys? You know why he said that, ladies, gentlemen, who are paying attention to that? Because he knew that's all they needed. They didn't really need to hear him pontificate about all the things he knew. They just needed Jesus and him crucified for them. Mm. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Wow. So, so you know what else he's saying? He said, I didn't come in here uh, talking about anything but the wisdom of, of, of the cross. And he says, and I didn't come in depending on my gifts and my abilities to make the point. He said, I came in here and talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came in here and let you know that I fear God and I have great respect for his holiness. And I came in here weak. I came in here God-fearing because that's the attitude you need to take on and so do I. What did, what did Paul tell us? That he continued to work out his salvation with fear and trembling. He did not want to be on the wrong side of God. He said, and I came in with that kind of attitude. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I think, too, I think sometimes we, 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 we leave out that part. And when you don't teach people fear of God, you really have left out the wisdom they really need. Because I don't understand how wonderful the cross is if I don't understand what I've been saved from. He said, in my speech, in my message were were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. 
See, Paul went in with an attitude. You see sometimes these celebrity pastors, they go in almost wanting to be a celebrity. You know, celebrity in the church, this doesn't work very well. And, and Paul's trying to get around that, and what he's saying is this. I didn't come in for any other reason to do anything of my own will or my own abilities. I came in to demonstrate to you the power of the Spirit. I wanted you to see how powerful the Holy Spirit was, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men. I don't want you to put your, 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 your trust in me. I want you to put your trust in the power of God. And you know what? I can't do nothing to save you. You know, you can be the biggest fan of the most gifted preacher in the world. He can't save you. You can be enamored with the greatest women speaker in the world. She can't save you. You can have the greatest Sunday school teacher the world has ever known. They can't save you. He says, I'm not here for you to put any trust in me. I'm telling you, you better put trust in the power of God. Verse 6, yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He says, look, if they knew everything they claimed to know, all these religious leaders, if they were as wonderful as they said, Jesus kept saying to them what? If you know what you claim to know, you of all people should know who I am. And they missed it. So they must not have been too wise because the prophets had said all these things. They had just missed. They say where he's going to be born. They say where he's going to come from. And they just, they, what, what did they do? What we all do to some degree. They said, we don't like what God is actually saying, so we're going to cut out anything we don't like about Messiah, and we're going to create the way we want Messiah to be the first time he comes, and we're going to ignore all the times that God said through the prophets that he will die. We're just going to act like that Psalms 22 doesn't exist. We're going to act like that what Isaiah said doesn't exist. We're going to take the, the second coming of Messiah when he comes to rule the earth, and we're going to make that the first coming of Messiah because that's what we prefer. And how many times do we keep trying to make God something we prefer as opposed to just accepting Him for who He is? It's not us that need Him to change. It's Him that changes us. We have to change to be in His presence. He didn't have to change anything. He's already everything that He could be. And I love that, that Paul says, if they were as smart as they claimed, they wouldn't have missed Messiah and they wouldn't have crucified Him. Because then he goes on to say this. He says, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this commentary gets a little rougher uh, because we're trying to figure out what, what Paul is referring to here, and, uh, and we really can't. There, there's, some, there's some thoughts uh, that he's using. He, it's definitely from the Old Testament, uh, but it appears uh, that he's looking uh, maybe a little bit of Isaiah 64.4, if you want to write that down. Some of this kind of language also is in Isaiah 52, 15, and 65, 17. But this is not, Paul didn't grab like, it'd be almost like me talking to you, and I'm pulling pieces of Scripture, and I put them all together in one group, but they really weren't all at the same verse. I put a line out of this verse, and I put a line out of this verse, and I wanted to make a point because these different lines all make my point. That's what Paul's doing here. This is not a direct quote word for word at this certain place of Isaiah but most of the uh, theologians in the commentary believe if you look at 64.4, 52.15, and 65.17, uh, 
from the prophet Isaiah, you get these sentences. Does that make sense? The bottom line is he's saying, how goofy is it for any man to think they understand God completely? He said, no one knows or has heard or even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Whatever you think, and, and I go through this all the time when people start talking about especially what it's going to be like to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I mean, Paul's main point here is distinguish between what can be dis- discovered by a process, process of human reasoning and things that can only be known as a result of divine revelation. There's certain things. There ain't no way to know them other than God giving it to you. you. You'll never know it any other way. Only he can teach it. It's not here. We can't do it. God is so beyond our finite mind that the, some things that we learn about him, he just has to give it to us, and uh, mainly through the word of God. This is his revelation about himself, trying to get it down to where we can understand it. Praise God for that. And, and uh, I, I looked at one of the examples about that, talking about the beauty of the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that John Phillips was talking about, he said he goes with a friend of his to hear this incredible message uh, from this, uh, this teacher, and he said the message was just incredible, and I, I loved it. It went great. It was beautifully laid out. I was just celebrating, yes, 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 and I was thinking to this friend that I brought from work that he was going to love it too. I, we're just celebrating. He doesn't say anything on the way home. He goes, and so I get to work the next day, and basically I say, hey, man, what would you think about that message last night? And you know what I found out? He had no idea what I was talking about. But here I was hearing it perfectly. And I realized this person doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He, he, he's not connected to God, so there, that's back to that folly for those that are perishing. All he heard was womp, 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 like from Charlie Brown. But Phillips was like, I heard the message. I thought it was beautifully done. I followed every word of it. But this guy didn't, and they were sitting in the same room. That's one that's getting a revelation from God one that's not. And, um, and, and so this is what Paul wants us to understand. Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through what? The Spirit. If you don't understand Scripture, it's likely you don't have the Holy Spirit. I can tell you, when I, did, when I used to try to read this book without the Holy Spirit, man, I got all twisted up. But man, the Holy Spirit's like putting on these reading glasses, baby, and all of a sudden, before you know it, God's revealing himself because now the Spirit is teaching it to us. And, I, and don't get into this garbage where some people... They just love to thrill you that they want to go back to the original Hebrew and the original Greek. It's great. It's wonderful to do that. But be careful if they start saying, well, if you, if you don't know the Hebrew and you don't know the Greek, then you really don't understand the Bible. That's going too far. It's helpful, but here's what they're saying. God somewhere is limited. Well, when I had to tell these English-speaking people my word, I just couldn't get it done. I mean, I can breathe, uh, you know, creation into existence. I can create human beings. I can uh, resurrect my own body. I can resurrect people from the dead. But I just can't quite pull off getting my word to these English-speaking people or Spanish-speaking people or whatever. When I start getting translated into other languages, just human beings get in the way and they block me. I can't do it. I can't get past them. I could only give my word clear in Hebrew and Greek. I just couldn't do it any other way. I am God and I am limited by two languages. You see how stupid that sounds? You don't think God's capable of, of, of bypassing any attempt to change his word as it's coming to us? Of course he does. And, and so when you see this in the Holy Spirit, it rises up out of the scriptures in your language, just like at Pentecost in everybody's language, so that they can understand it. Do you think anybody, when they heard Peter speaking to their language, says, well, 
That's not in Hebrew, and that's not in Greek. It's in our language. I bet it's wrong. Do you think anybody said that? Somehow God was limited by language? So, so anyway, he says, So these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Listen to that now. He's saying that because of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can truly show us the depths of God. Look at 11. See, I don't like when people say, well, you can just never really know God. Apparently you can't. You may not fully comprehend everything about God, but apparently you can. So listen to this. For, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? You know what he's saying? You know why the Holy Spirit tells you all the things about God? Because that's part of God. Don't you know about yourself? Well, the Holy Spirit's part of the triune God. You think the Holy Spirit didn't know about God? He is God. Of course he does. He says, so, so now, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, meaning this didn't come from the world. The spirit is, is from God that we might understand these things freely given to us by God. If you don't understand who God is and you don't understand his word, Paul's saying it's not because the Holy Spirit can't give it to you. Is because you just haven't decided to receive it. Because it's there. And it's God translating about God to you. And guess what? He'll get it right. But you better be sure you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you may not be reading it correctly. But he's saying that this is not something that's unattainable to the redeemed. 13. And we, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are what? Spiritual. So does the Holy Spirit, back to his first statement in verse 18, he says of chapter 1, he says, those that think all this is folly, they think it's all folly because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is only speaking to those who are spiritual, the redeemed. Look what he says about the natural person in 14. And that is going to do the comparison. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you can't understand the Word of God, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you're not progressing in your understanding of the Word of God, then sanctification, which is that process of being made holy by the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, Paul the Apostle is saying, if you can't understand Scripture, it's not because the Spirit is unable to discern it for you. It's probably because you are still a natural man. That's what he's saying. It's one of the indicators. It's one of the indicators I've seen in my life. I, I, I understand the Word of God in a way I never have before. When I was lost, I didn't understand it this way. You know why? I didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't have the Spirit. I was, I, was just still, I was still unredeemed. And then verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Look at 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Don't miss that. That's from Isaiah 40, 13, um, when, when, when he makes that statement in verse 16. He's saying, first of all, Isaiah said, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So Isaiah said that in Isaiah 40, 13. Meaning, who are, is anybody to say anything to the Lord, to give any instruction to the Lord? And that's true, but look what, this, but look what Paul says next. He puts the word but there again. But the redeemed have now been given the mind of Christ. So he's saying 
Those that have been redeemed have now been given the mind of Christ. He says God has to be part of revealing God's secret. It has to include inspiration of God. He has to truly reveal it or it can't be revealed. And he says, so no, it's true that none of us can instruct God. Though it's true, God is bigger than us. But here in the new covenant and in the new church, he's saying since the crucifixion and the resurrection, we have through the Holy Spirit been given the mind of Christ. It's one of the first Bible studies that Sherry and I ever did as a redeemed couple, and it was called the mind of Christ. If you've never, if you've never done it, I suggest you do. It's been around for a long, long time. Uh, and, uh, and it talks about how once we've been redeemed, our mind and not just our spirit has been transformed. And what does that mean? We begin to love the things that God loves. We begin to hate the things that God hates. And we begin to think in a way that is different. Because have you ever known that you know, for you to truly change, you certainly got to be changed spiritually. But what's one of the things that always has to change? You got to start, you got to change the way you think. And he says, so we've been given the mind of Christ, which then enables us to have some wisdom about God that we wouldn't have had any other way. So uh, I don't know how all this has landed today, but this is what Paul is saying, and he's talking into the church, and it's something I think the modern-day church has, has to be reminded of. The bottom line in these verses we've covered is Paul is getting prepared to go back into the divisions found in the church. We'll talk about that next week, Lord willing, in chapter 3. The main thing he's saying right now is y'all are drifting back to being enamored with philosophy, with with uh, uh, with wisdom from the world. Now, if you don't think that's entered the modern day church, then you're, you're just not paying attention. And he says you better get back to the cross. You better get back to the gospel. And some of y'all are drifting into other versions of the faith that are of the world. They're not of the Word of God. They're not of the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, then you need to be able to discern that and don't drift back into being enamored with human beings. Remember that the Jesus went to the cross to save you, and the only thing good about any of us is Jesus. And who compares to God? And what we need to be getting our wisdom from is from God, not from the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. And and it is interesting how the world just seems to be so, they just can't say enough about, uh, you know, dealing with all kinds of the education and academia and, 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 and how we want to be so pontificate on how wonderful and wise and how much more we know than you. Lord, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our arrogance, arrogance and, and forgive us for thinking that anything that we could bring to the table is worth anything in front of you. May our wisdom come from you, not from the world. Lord, thank you for being gracious with us, and thank you for reminding us to focus back on, on the cross. When everything else fails and we get confused, just go back to the cross and say thank you for what you did. And Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone who needs to be redeemed and as they watch this and they, they are listening to this and they're being drawn back to the cross, Lord, I pray that you'll be able to to draw them to you and that they'll repent of their sins and they'll turn to your authority and to your wisdom and truly be given the mind of you, Jesus, and truly be given the Holy Spirit so we can discern the things of you versus the things of the world. Thank you for this message today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to be with us. We'll talk to you next week.